0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the palmetto swamps to the piney woods to the oak flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bow Hunter Podcast.
1: You're listening to the Louisiana Bow Hunter Podcast, presented by Scree Gear Performance hunting gear at a reasonable price I know uh, we've all kind of began to come up through this now age of a change in hunting apparel and the performance hunting gear has become such a prominent thing in the outdoor industry and in the hunting community you know it, it, it really has taken off over the last several years and at Scree. Um Scree was established in 2015 with the idea that that we can provide that same level of innovation, technology and performance with better customer service, a better warranty and a better price point. And uh, one of the ways that was established was by focusing on a direct to consumer business model, which is why you don't find Scree in stores, but the customer service, the sizing guarantees, the lifetime warranties Allow you to communicate and do your ordering and do your business with Scree just like you were in the store with your favorite store rep and favorite uh, salesperson. And, um, you know, they always have a lot of good deals going on. And I've told you many times about uh, the way that they bundle their gear to kind of get you exactly what you need to get started hunting head to toe. And then you can add pieces to that layering system. Uh, for new things and with the whitetail bundles with the whitetail starter bundle you'll get pants shirt vest hat gloves everything you need to get started and it's on a 14-day risk-free trial so when you when you purchase it not only do you get the sizing guarantee to make sure if you need to exchange a size that they take care of all of that for you but then you get to try the gear for 14 days no questions asked if you're not totally satisfied you send it back you get your money back i don't know that you can really uh do better than that when ordering hunting gear online so shop online at screegear.com and uh go check them out on all the different social platforms follow them along learn more about the gear so we're in uh uh, i'm i'm here and i'm going to be joined by the uh returning mvp levi levi what's up (laughs) MVP. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you're an MVP. That, that was not a great... Uh, no,
2: I am not an MVP. That's a terrible
1: introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That was just what popped in my mind when I wanted to introduce you. I just said MVP. Anyway, Levi's on here with me today, and we're going to have uh, another uh, party join us on the podcast. and I'm sure that a lot of people that are in the community probably recognize his name and see him. On um, some different posts and stuff on social media. Garrett Ramsey joins us to have a discussion. Garrett, what's going on today, man?
3: Oh, nothing much. Just hanging
1: out at work. Oh, man. Just living the <laughs> life, huh?
3: <laughs> yeah. Working as many days as I can and trying to get off as much as I can for fall. So, got them stacked in there right
1: now. I hear you. You know, I hear that from a lot of people um, in our world. And I guess I- I've had a lot of different jobs in my life. And, um, I think it's, you know, obviously people that work for themselves and set their own schedules, that's, that's the best way to get time off during hunting season. But then other there, I've heard, like you just said, heard a lot of people that they're able to kind of backload hours and stuff. And, uh, right. I guess being able to do that's really the next, the next best thing to set in your own schedule, right?
3: Yeah. Uh, we're on ship work. So, uh, if I cover somebody else's ship, then I can trade with them. I have so many, I think I can get a dozen trades in a year so i pretty much take them all during the summer when i can because i'm i don't really have any summer activity if i can get a weekend off here there and go fishing or go to the beach with my partner that's about it other than that i take every bit of it i can in october and november and try to
1: get a little off in january nice well um so we got we're going to talk a little bit garrett with with garrett uh, on this about um some of his traditional hunting and a big project that he's undertaken recently that was really interesting to Levi and I both and we want to ask him some questions and and uh find out more about how that process went and how it's going and 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 all that so i'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil that just yet, but that that's what's on tap for this episode. Something that I want to do and Garrett I want you to um take part in this with Levi and i
0: we've mm-hmm.
1: we've been asking on basically everywhere. On, on, on social media and on the community group. it's asking people, like, if you want us to answer a question or kind of just really even just bullshit about something, like send us some questions, send us some topics. Um, you know, and I, I want to introduce that into the podcast every week where if we can get a yeah. handful of questions or good ones from different people that they want to hear us, uh, uh, whether it's funny, stupid, or like they seri- have a serious question that they hope we can answer, so I'm going to go through a, a few of these that have been submitted here in the first couple of weeks and um see what see what kind of answers we come up with. All right, y'all ready for that? Yep. All right. Um let me pick one. Um All right, here's one that I um this is real simple, but it it's pretty obvious. How do you get rid of the smell on new boots? Rubber or and or leather. Just chime in either one of you, if you got something.
3: Mm. Just I go out before the season and start wearing them. Um, I don't really scout much in the summer, but I get bored, and I like to just go walk, and I'll kind of scout while I'm out there. I don't really get a whole lot of good information from it, but I buy a set of boots about midsummer, and I just wear them and break them in and stomp do through the mud and, you know, don't yeah. bring them in the house or nothing like that where they get any more smells on them, but just wear them. That's what I do anyway. It seems to work for me.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you what. If you, have y'all, either one of y'all, heard of this new company called Light Boots? L I T E? I haven't. Um, I haven't. So they're in Mississippi. Uh, I actually met with them at the World Deer Expo because I'd never seen them before. So I met with the guy, the owner was there. And um, so basically, it's a knee high rubber boot similar to any other, you know, uh, like a green lacrosse type. But it weighs nothing. It's basically the same material as a croc, you know, like the croc slip-on shoes. Yeah, (laughs) and and I know it sounds sounds awesome. It it is, dude. (laughs) It weighs nothing. Like it weighs less than your sock. And um, you, I mean, I look, I have no affiliation to this company whatsoever. But I got my son is like, you know, outgrowing me, and and we have to buy new clothes and new boots like quarterly like we have a quarterly business meeting about the the clothes that fit in our house and so i'm like he's gonna have to have some boots and these look really cool and i mean it's basically i mean they're waterproof um knee-high rubber boots they sell them in brown and green and they're you know i mean it's like a croc and it weighs nothing so I, i mean really you should check it out but here's my point if you've ever bought a new pair of crocs they have that molded rubber smell that's really strong, right. like chemically smell. Well, yeah. the boots had that too, and yeah. To your point, Garrett, I mean, he put them on, and he's been like putting them on. He's got a tree stand right behind our backyard. And he goes back there and checks his camera and puts some more feet on the ground uh, once or twice a week, and he's been doing that. But basically, that rubbery new smell. Honestly, I just put them outside for a week, and and just yeah, let, they don't laugh long. Well just the temperature changes and all that it just kind of just kind of goes away um i don't know and as far as rubber boots i, I you just got to wear them i don't i don't yeah. i think i think my only opinion my strongest opinion to the person who would ask that question is don't buy boots so soon before you th- you first go hunting that you right. need some process to immediately get rid of the smell. Just buy them earlier so you can yeah. wear them some and let it naturally wear off. All right. Agreed. Agreed.
3: The um, the lacrosse boots come with like yep. a oily sheen on them too. That's got a kind of a funny smell. I don't really think that spell spooks deer, but I think what it does after a while is they kind of associate it with you.
1: Yeah. I, I- my opinion is this, and this is kind of another way that these conversations can go, which is why I want to do this every podcast. I want your opinions. I, I've i always had this strong opinion that deer aren't, that. you know, we, we always think about deer as hunters from this perspective of, uh, of how you analyze the world. So when you think of like, well how's right. a deer acting, you're thinking of it through the lens of how you would act and how your brain mm-hmm. works. Right? So a deer smells a a rubbery, chemically new boot smell. A deer doesn't go, that is the chemical machine that lacrosse puts on their boots <laughs> and I you know, it's another damn yellow top boot hunter up in here. I gotta get out of here. Like They don't know what that smell is. It's just not natural. However, God made them to when they smell you, like they smell your body odor and they smell your skin, they know – they don't know you're human, but they know you're a predator. Right. With that being said, I agree with you, Garrett, that when they smell foreign odors – they don't know that they're predators, but they know that they're foreign. And if you're in an area, like if you hunt public ground where deer are under more pressure, or early season when the does are on high alert because they've got little ones, foreign odors are, you know, you, you're, you're playing Russian roulette with a deer, wh- right. whether he's going to react um, drastically or he's going to act curiously with a foreign smell. So if you can eliminate a foreign smell, yeah. you should do it. If they're smelling that along with you, they yeah. kind of pick it up after a while if they just smell that they
3: they automatically assume you're with
1: them yeah i just i like I to think, yeah. I like to look at the backstory behind decision making because like I think this one comes very simply down to like what you just said, Garrett it's a f- smell association, right, but the backstory is when all decisions that you make about deer hunting is ri re- recognizing whether or not um how are you? How are you making your decisions? I mean, are, are are if you stop, are you are you actually kind of being stupid enough to think that a deer associates a predator smell and a completely foreign smell? Are they do they have the cognitive ability to um, conflate the, the two things? Well, maybe they have enough survival instincts to conflate the two things in a certain situation, but they don't know what rubber is. You know, just right. like they don't know what suave strawberry fields shampoo smells like, they don't know that that's a product that humans put in their hair. They just know it's not something that lives out there in those woods. <laughs> you, know? So, you know. Anyway, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna we're gonna, right. I'm gonna ramble. All right, let me move to another. Yeah. All right, this is one that you two uh, will probably Garrett more more than you and I, Levi. I don't I don't know. Best tip for mm-hmm. hunting? Palm- yeah,
2: I like to let Garrett open all right Thanks
1: for most
3: of
1: them. best tip for hunting in palmettos
3: Ooh, now see that one's one i'm not real familiar oh. with because i'm i'm a little new to swamp hunting i did shoot you kill know, two deer in the palmettos last year and it was like when i finally figured out kind of what was going on but um all the deer i've seen last year in the little week that i went and hunted a swamp they were just transition edges they were like open hardwoods next to some palmettos, and they were just walking straight down the edge of it about 50 yards in and i just kind of picked a spot that looked good for the wind and walked in in a, in a random place no deer trails or anything that i could see and climbed up and right at the between probably 40 and 75 yards inside those palmettos, they were just walking straight up and down that edge and i uh, shot two like that and seen several more but that was that's basically that one week or so was the only experience I had with seeing deer in palmettos.
1: I hunt the hills a lot. I don't. I I have like I've I've hunted in in swamps on private land where there's palmettos around, but I'm hunting areas. I've not spent enough time going into a large area of palmettos and figuring out try to hunt it, So I'm not even gonna try. Do y'all right. have a lot of palmettos in your place, Levi? Not
2: a ton. Uh, We used to have a fair amount of them, but we actually cut our big block of timber a couple years ago, and it has just grown up into just a massive thicket now. And there's Palmetto's scattered out sporadically in it, but I would say for the most part, no. You'll see them every now and then, but not with any regularity. They're not everywhere.
1: With the rising cost of goods and record high inflation, wouldn't it be great to save money, on your auto insurance? With most companies in Louisiana increasing their rates on auto insurance, American National took a rate decrease. We look out for the best interests of our clients and look forward to earning your trust as well as your business. Call or text Jake Slocum at American National Insurance at 318-255-0096 today for a free assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider. You're on your way to your stand early in the morning and you have an accident. You run off the road, total your truck. Your bow, guns, and hunting gear damaged may be totaled as well. True or false, your auto coverage covers your bow, guns, and hunting gear that got damaged. False, your homeowner's or rental coverage has content coverage that extends to this event. To find out more, call or text Jake Slocum at American National Insurance at 318-255-0096 today for a free assessment. Jake Slocum. American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider.
2: He talked about hunting like a you know, in a little swampy area on a transition zone where those deer like to walk those edges and I mean deer are a creature of habit as far as using habitat edge. That's that's where they like to travel. If you if you're in a slough, you know, naturally not all the time, but a lot of times the deer will use the edge of the water as kind of a little travel route. Because like on our property, what you'll see is on the 80% of the body's water on our property, you'll typically have like a slough. And, you know, between 50 to 100 yards off of that slough is just a big, massive briar thicket that's just really good bedding for them. They're close to water. Have good security cover, and then in between that, typically you're going to have a trail right there, a good travel out for them, moving back and forth across sloughs or down sloughs or whatever. So,
1: my okay. So here's my question for each of you, then, because we hear we talk about palmettos in the state of Louisiana a lot because it's it's one of the one of the things that's unique to this area um, and only a. a you know a limited number of other areas outside of us but so when it comes like to what everything you just said Levi when it comes to assessing how you hunt palmettas how much different is it is it different than any other kind of land change land what I'm trying to say here but like if I'm trying to figure out how to hunt uh, a water edge or any kind of land barrier is really thick palmettas you know, any different than me trying to get into very short plantation pines where the the animals can access it better than I, so I'm not going to be able to go in there and be effective. So yeah, I've got it's a, basically the same as that. From what I kind
3: of had that realization, like, oh, I was just looking at it wrong. You know? Yeah, but yeah, just like you said, like plant, short plantation pines, identical to it.
1: That that's how the I way they it. travel. Yeah. That's 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 what it sounds to me like when I hear people talk, and and the few times I have ventured in and, and hunted where there were a lot of them, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, well, this, yeah, I mean, it's a unique plant, and it offers its its own, you know, diversity in, in what it is, and it, it, it's obviously not the same as a briar patch or a pine thicket or whatever, but from a hunting strategy, it kind of is. It's it's an area that's so thick and choked that I can't be effective in there as a, as a hunter, but animals can use it to their advantage. Yeah. And so basically what's the difference you're hunting it the same way you're finding land uh, terrain that allows you to access deer accessing that is that you know, right. kind of like the way i would
3: like to the, and, uh, the best way to get within bow range probably as they're asking is hunting those like edges or terrain features i think a lot of people just bail off up in there and pick a tree and climb and they're seeing deer moving around 60 70 yards away and get lucky every now and then and one walk right by the tree but that's how I was getting them within bow range was just picking a good transition line and setting up on it waiting for them to follow it down.
1: I think the like the, probably the most logical and uh sensible thing that I have been told uh, about like pines, the short pines that makes the most sense to me is how do you how do you hunt that? Well, you you don't. I mean you hunt the edge of it. You let them come out of it because that's their bedroom, and they're more effective in there than you can be. So hunt the edge of it, and hunt it correctly and wisely, and you'll catch them, coming and ac- you'll catch them accessing that habitat.
3: Hey, it's Brian Chamberlain with Movement Mortgage and the Chamberlain Mortgage Lending So We're proud to be back to support Louisiana Hunter for our second season. We want to let you know that we're here for all of your mortgage needs, whether it's a purchase, a refinance, a renovation loan, or taking equity out of your home. We're also an equal opportunity lender, so that means that whether you shoot a crossbow, you shoot a compound bow, you shoot mechanical broadheads, or you shoot fixed blades, we want to be your mortgage lending partner. We're available seven days a week at 504-228-3780, or you can reach us by email at chamberlainteam at com. Movement Mortgage and MLS number 39179, Brian Chamberlain. NMLS number 114586.
1: Uh, I don't know, and maybe I'm wrong about Palmetto. There's people that hunt palmettos, and that's kind of a, a, a question that I like it. I'm glad somebody submitted it, but really the best thing for me to do is say maybe we'll have a guest that's done it and can provide more oh. experienced insight. Something like that. So, um, I know Kyler hunts him a lot. He, he's the one that talked me into getting up in the palmettos when I was in the swamp. Yeah. Um. I got a, uh, I got a couple of, I got. Let's just do one more for time, time's time sake, and we'll. Uh, th- this one's a real simple one, but I, I think it's it's fair to just just talk about it. This guy says I have all my gear ready and my cameras out, but I haven't pulled out my bow. Now, this, in fairness, this was sent a week or so ago, so I'm not, you know, it's we're recording on September the eighth. I think this guy sent this to us like. August 31st or something, but I haven't pulled out my bow. When do you st- typically start target practice? So you guys just tell me. Uh, Garrett, you go first. <laughs> uh, I don't have time to start target practice. I never stop.
3: I have to shoot every single day um, because I shoot a trad bow, and it's, it's a diminishing skill. If you don't do it constantly, it starts to go away. Um, a big problem I had, I, I used to shoot – used to i won it last year the state championship trad bow shoot and the reason i didn't win it in years before is because i didn't shoot my bow during turkey season it was a little two three month span that i put my bow down and picked up my shotgun well the state championship was in may the first week of may so i didn't have time to practice and warm up before but other than that coming up the deer season i'm shooting my bow every day
1: man yep Levi. Yeah,
2: I, I want to say we talked about this last week, but I mean I, I may have a little lag, you know, February, maybe early March, typically, but I'm, I try and shoot some every day, and sometimes work dictates that, you know, you may not get home until dark and, and all that, and uh, yeah, I've got a little small shot that I can go shoot about ten yards in, but ten yards doesn't really do me any good unless I'm. Just in there doing some blank bell shooting or something like that. So, as much as I possibly can. I somebody asked me uh, a couple months ago how many errors that you shoot throughout the year, and that's kind of that's kind of a hard number. I, I don't I don't know. Would y'all have any idea how many arrows you shoot, Garrett? For you, how many errors you shoot a year for practice? Uh, let's see.
3: One forty-four times three sixty-five. Wait, one forty-four. <laughs> <times. laughs> I try to shoot a dozen arrows ten times a day, every day, unless I've you know got something going on or whatever. But wow!
1: So that's has got know. I thoroughly
2: enjoy big, shooting big, my bow. That like I, that's one of my
3: very first things.
1: Yeah, that I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. If if I give you. <laughs> One week. If I give you a week worth of days that, for whatever reason, you don't get to shoot, you're shooting fifty-two thousand. If you sh- if you did shoot one hundred and forty-four every day of the year, it'd be fifty-two thousand five
3: hundred and sixty. Let's see. We can we can subtract some time out because we can subtract turkey season. We could subtract. I don't know. I shoot my boat at work sometimes, but not all the time. We can subtract about ninety days there. So. Two months—that's that's almost half a year. So cut that that number I gave you in half.
1: Well, if you subtracted ninety days, that's still a lot. Yeah, I mean you're still at thirty nine thousand six hundred. You yeah. know. Yeah. So anyway, I, I mean, I, but my so I wouldn't I wouldn't imagine the compound
3: shooters would do that.
1: No, nah, well, no, and I think that is something to say. Like for someone, no. yeah, for someone who's shooting a traditional bow that requires a lot more repetitious practice so that goes without saying but I, I think the question is a lot more centered around um you know your traditional compound hunter and and i i uh i i'm kind of in the middle I, I i hunt exclusively with archery equipment outside of um you know turkey season i, I still hunt with a shotgun and stuff like that but um I'm also not like a huge target archer in any way. I shoot my bow to hunt with it. But I, you know, I, ju- I typically, after July the 4th, I start shooting on a regular basis at least two or three times a week. And then once I get to au- late August, September, I start trying to shoot every day at least, you know, at least 25 to 35 arrows, sometimes way more than that. Sometimes I might shoot 100. If I have you know a long time or like a Saturday where I'm just kind of in and out of my office shooting throughout the day, I'll shoot two or three rounds and put the bow up and then shoot two or three rounds later. But I think the for me, my only input on the question really is, you, and, and I'm teaching my son this right now. My son, I talk about this all the time and I don't mean to bleaker the point, but he's 14 years old. He wants to bow hunt and all that. And I tell him all the time, when he comes home from school and he goes in there and eats half of the kitchen and then lays on the couch and looks at his (laughs) iPad, and I'm like, when's the last time you shot your bow? I don't know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just a teenager, just a teenage kid, but I said, look, dude, I want you to hunt. I want you to hunt with me. I want to enjoy that time, but I will not let you shoot a razor-tipped arrow at a living animal until you show me that you've practiced enough that you can do it ethically, that you can make an ethical, honest shot at an animal i don't care how many times you go check your camera i don't care how many you know hours you put in helping me work around the camp and stuff i will not put you in a stand and let you shoot at a deer until i know you shot your bow enough that you have a reasonable i have a reasonable expectation that you're going to make or do your best to make an ethical shot and i just think that's what that's the minimum requirement in my opinion whatever however much it takes however much time and however much reps it takes for you to feel i mean we're all going to make mistakes and we're all going to lose deer from time to time but whatever it takes for you to feel like i'm shooting at this deer and i owe it to them to try to make the quickest cleanest most ethical kill possible that's when you need to start practicing and i think that everybody is different some people if you've only been bow hunting two or three years you probably need to shoot a lot more just as a a general rule you probably need to shoot a lot more than someone who's been shooting since they were old enough for their dad to get them a bow to be to be ready to go I, I that's 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 just my that's my opinion about it yep i don't know about you guys but whenever deer season rolls around i almost immediately start dreaming of chasing big bucks in the midwest during the november rut there's not a better state to do it than kansas 180 outdoors is your southeast kansas connection 180 Outdoors offers free range fair chase Kansas hunting at its finest in one of the best parts of the country, southeastern Kansas. They offer guided and non guided deer, turkey, and waterfowl hunts. But one of the things they do that's very different is they're also land professionals and they offer leases on proven farms that produce giant whitetails. So if you've ever wanted to have your own Kansas farm, where you can run your own cameras, do your own scouting, and get the full Midwest whitetail experience. 180's got a number of Kansas farms listed on their website right now at hunt180.com, or you can give them a call and find out what else they make and hook you up with at 620-325-4093. Guided, non-guided, lodging, whitetail, deer, turkey, waterfowl, leases, recreational land purchase, anything you need, 180 Outdoors is your Southeast Kansas connection hunt180.com. All right. Let's segue. Let's segue. So, uh, Levi, I'm going to let you introduce. The, Levi and in, in, um, is the one that kind of came to me and was like, look, let's talk to Garrett about this. This is really cool. And I agreed. So, um, Levi, take it away. Start this conversation. Some of
2: the people on social media probably saw us post a few weeks ago, maybe even few months ago about uh, we had a video of Garrett talking about his bow that he has basically 100% made himself, which is I know he's not the first person to ever do that, but that is completely fascinating to me from uh, and I'm not going to sit here and ramble on. I want Garrett to kind of tell us the whole process that he goes through from cutting the bow dart or all sage, whatever you want to call it, to uh, the strings, the feathers on the for the errors off his turkeys he kills. I mean, that is just – that's fascinating. So, I'm just going to – I'm going to let Garrett talk, and me and the lock are going to be quiet. So,
3: Garrett, right. go ahead, buddy. So, this is something that I've wanted to do since – literally, this is probably the far back memories I can think of wanting to shoot a deer with a crab bow. Like, my brother, a couple of weeks ago, dug up this old picture – of me when I was about six years old and I'm pretending like I'm shooting a deer in the house. And I, I still do that. Like I'll catch myself drawing back on a deer that's not there while I'm at work. And um it's just something that's always running through my mind. And I always wanted to make a bow. Always wanted to make a bow. So when I was in high school, I bought my first trad bow, shot it, shot it, shot it, um, missed some deer, clipped some deer, finally ended up killing one. And then I kind of got on a roll. It took me a couple of years to be able to hit deer out of a tree stand, even though I shot a lot. It's just a completely different thing, you know. And um, so after I kind of got my bearings with that, I started pinning with making bows. I'd cut hickory trees in the backyard. And um, this was after, I don't know, three or four years of shooting a trad bow. I finally just started trying to build one. But when I first started trying to shoot a trad bow, there was no, um, there wasn't really much social media stuff out there yet. Wasn't a lot of info on it. I I was able to Google it and find a little bit of stuff on the internet and um i would shoot i probably made about 20 or 30 bows through my life that just blew up in my face or were just too light to hunt with and um two or three years ago i was at i believe i was at the um louisiana bow hunter traditional state championship and mr tommy robinson had some big osage stays and i got one from him and he told me whenever i wanted to i could come work with him and he'd show me how to do it but I wanted to build one on my own and I started watching videos on YouTube and reading every book I could find. And uh, I have a whole library of bow building books if anybody needs to borrow them. Um, but I would get in too big of a hurry. Like I'd build this whole thing out and get to the tillering process where you have to have a lot of patience. And by that time I was so burnt out, I would, you know, screw it up. I'd take too much wood off or whatever. Well, this year I said, well, I'm just going to do a little bit at a time because I had a good hunting bow ready to go. I wasn't worried about, building one. If I got it built for season, I'd hunt with it. If not, whatever. So I took my time. And, um, from this stage, cause I don't have Osage trees where I live. Um, and I got it worked out real good. And I was able to shoot it. It was like a little longbow. Man, I could kill a deer with this. So I kept kind of piddling with it, peddling with it. I, was, I think I'm gonna recurve the tips. So I recurve the tips and they come out great. Heated them up, put them on a, uh, vice and bent them, And, uh, Kept going. I said, well, I guess I'll go ahead and send you back it. So I send you back it, and it built the weight way up, so I took it back down. And as the more I went, the better looking it got, the better it shot. I was like, man, this is pretty nice. And uh, it got to the point to where I could shoot it as good as I could shoot my laminate three-piece longbow that I killed 10 or 12 deer with. <laughs> I said, all right, so I made some arrows out of some switch cane I had, which I've been making arrows for years. But there ain't nothing to that, really. I tuned them. And, uh, there was always a thought in the back of my head, you know, I want to shoot stone points, but that's something I'll never get around to doing. Well, I finished my bow with like three months ago with the season. And, uh, uh, killed a rattlesnake, put it on there. Just you know, dress it up like, well, I got all the time left. I might as well attempt to make some stone points. So I bought a little kit and some rocks and I, it was basically a rock smashing kit. I was, I started out with, seven or eight of these big spalls, big as a softball, and ended up with just a bunch of little flakes, like glitter. I mean, those things will work. And um, I'd seen where some guys were making them out of uh, glass bottles, Coke bottles and beer bottles and stuff. So I got me a bunch of those together, and I started tinkering with them, tinkering with them. Well, eventually I started getting a little bit better and started to realize how to take flakes off and this and that and got me some more rocks. And uh, within no time, man, I started, like, whipping out these really pretty – arrowheads out of beer bottles and coke bottles and rocks balls and all these things and uh put them on my arrows and started shooting them and man i can shoot this bow just as good now as i can shoot my timber ridge longbow with these stone points on it and it i'm i'm pretty pumped for it but it's one of those things that i'm almost like i knew it was going to happen eventually and it's been such a long lead up to it over the years that I don't know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm 100% confident I'm going to kill a deer with it this year, no doubt. So,
1: How many times did you have to do any kind of major change to get it to where you are today? Or or did you just kind of walk right through the process?
3: I, I don't know. It, it took so long. Like, I didn't – this wasn't a continuous thing that I've done over the years. It was like every summer – I would get bored sitting at home as a kid, like middle school through high school, and go, I think I'm gonna try to be on a bow and go work on one, work on one, work on one, and break it. Cause I didn't have any resources back then to know how to do it. Got in high school, started playing football, didn't really have any time. And then after high school, I tinkered with it two or three more times. And um, by that time, by the time I graduated high school, I had heavy other hobbies. So that's what I really buckled down in a deer on. well now i'm gonna make one and i don't man i don't know how many i made this is a process it's been since i was probably 12 13 years old um made piles of them n- i've only made two that were successful like that i could shoot and one of them was about four years ago and it was it ended up being about 15 pounds because i got in too big of a hurry towards the end and pillared it too quick and uh i killed like two or three rabbits with it which was cool but then I just kind of gave up on it after that. I'm not going to worry about it. And then this year I just had some time and I was like, well, I'll give it one more shot cuz I got this good piece of osage and I I come out with this thing. So well, I don't know what the what the time was on that, but
1: is there something about this that you feel like is most identifiable as to what made this one turn out for you? Where the other ones would uh, do something. I didn't.
3: I wasn't in a hurry. I wasn't worried about using it this year. It was just. It was just like I had all my all my gear ready for this hunting season, and it was just like, well, I'll I'll with this bow, and if it turns out by the time hunting season gets here, I'll use it. All the other times, I was too excited and gotten too big of a hurry, and it's something that takes a lot of patience. Uh, I was watching a video of an old man making them and he said if you're somebody that doesn't have any patience you might as well just put this thing on a bandsaw and cut it up little pieces because you'll never get it anyway.
1: And that's, uh,
3: that's 100% true.
1: Alright, one more question and then and then Levi's turn to answer question, how, ask
3: questions. How many, how many pounds is
2: it, Bo Garrett?
1: It was
3: 55 pounds at my draw length which is 26 and a half inches roughly. But I've shot it. I don't know, probably five or six hundred times since it's been finished, and it, the limbs have broke in. And I, I'd imagine it's about fifty
1: ish. I, I haven't weighed it yet, or weighed it since then. Anyway. Mm-hmm. What is the primary thing, Garrett? That I don't know. What I, I don't know. I feel like I'm asking you a rhetorical question because I think I know what your answer is going to be. But what <laughs> did you What did you learn the most? In, in terms of getting to a final product that worked?
3: Just that patience thing, really.
1: Just slow down. Yeah, that's,
3: that, that's what I gathered. <laughs>
0: <from> yeah, that.
3: <laughs> that's the biggest thing, really. Um, it's not that difficult. It's not this crazy, like, skill that you, I mean, if you got a handful of hand tools and a little bit of uh, woodwork and knowledge, I mean, anybody can do it. It's just you gotta, you gotta have the time, and you gotta take it slow. It's not something that you just measure some lines and cut it out, and there it is. I mean, a little little bit of an art to it.
2: Garrett, is there is there any kind of like any kind of woodworking tools that you used other than I mean, obviously like just saw to cut it out with, and probably I mean like a sander or something like that. But is there it's a handful of, of stuff, so I didn't have to do all that.
3: I didn't use any power tools on it, and you really don't have to. Um, let's see, from start to finish, mm-hmm. if I were to cut one from start to finish, uh, a saw to cut a tree or an axe, I usually use a double-bit axe, lay it down, split it with a maul and some mm-hmm. wedges, so split it in half and then split those into quarters, and then you got to let them dry forever, especially down here in this heat and humidity. They, they stay moist forever. Guys up north can whip one out in a couple months, whereas if we cut one fresh, it would take a year and a half to be ready to start shaping it. Um from there, a wow, a draw knife. Uh that's one of the biggest things. That draw knife you take a lot of wood off with that, and then a farrier's rasp what's used on horseshoes. Um, and that's where you start to shape it, get it into a bow shape. And then once you've got a basic shape. You'd, and you can start, just barely start to bend the limbs. From then on, you put all the big tools down. That's This is where I screwed up a lot. I was trying to, once it started bending, I was trying to take a lot more wood off. And, uh like, it it might have been 90 pounds, and I was trying to get it down to 45, so I'd get my draw knife out or my farrier's rasp, and I'd just take off way too much in just a couple strokes. It don't take much. So I used a razor blade a lot just to scrape the belly of those limbs. And uh, get them down. So, you say your main tools are a rasp, a draw knife, and some sort of scraper like a dull knife or razor or something like that. That's basically all it takes once you have a a quarter of a stage.
1: Did you consider pencil or something? Uh, Go ahead, Locke. Okay. Did you consider using, like, how many different types of wood and other materials did you go through before kind of landing on what you finished with? Okay. So, there, there was a big gap between when I was a kid
3: making them. And remember, I said I was uh, playing football in high school. I didn't really have time to mess with them, but I read a lot of books. And then YouTube popped up, started getting more popular by the time I graduated and there was a few videos on there, and I learned what kind of woods I I could use. I remember as a kid, I just used what I could cut out the backyard. I used uh, chestnut or cow oak and magnolia trees, and I think maybe a honey locust, and uh, I I couldn't get any of those to work real well, but after I got older and figured out what I was doing, I went with hickory and then Osage. Osage – tends to be the best because you can bend it the farthest without it breaking. So you can make a real short bow and be able to just skin it all the way back and not have to worry about anything. And then uh, also I met quite a few people Um, uh, shooting 3D tournaments, uh, traditional 3D tournaments and stuff that were bow makers and they they gave me a little more insight on them.
2: What a I want to say if I remember from your video that we that you posted on uh, Instagram, um, did you say that? I should have watched it before we talked, but did you say that um, you did not make the bowstring for it? And if you if you were to go back and make your own bowstring out of the sinew, explain how all that works because that. All uh, right.
3: So the bowstring I did. Ideas- I didn't make the bowstring. I just didn't make the bowstring out of a natural material. Uh, I made it just like I make them for my regular long bows and recurves. And uh I made that one out of 65-pound spider wire. I like braided fishing line for bowstrings. I know that sounds crazy, but an old man told me to try it one time, and I tinkered it with is. it, and it ended up being a lot quieter than a regular B-50 or whatever bowstring, so. But, as far as making a sinew string, I've never even attempted to make a sinew bowstring i I've uh braided sinew before for other little things, but i don't I don't really know i haven't that's the one thing I haven't gotten around to is using a natural material for a bowstring, so that's something i'll i'm gonna have to go look up and figure it out and do it, and i guess post a video for you <laughs>
2: that's that's neat uh, yeah i I dabble off into making bow strings. I've got a little serving jig and all that stuff, and that's interesting spider wire. I've I've never heard of that, but hey, yeah, whatever I, works. It's, spider wire is probably a yeah. I don't lot. say much about it. You know, than people are then BC wire material.
3: Oh yeah, without a oh, doubt, yeah. without a doubt, yeah. sure. And you can get it anywhere. You get in a bind, and I can just run a, run to Walmart and grab it. But um, the year I shot, let's see. Somebody messaged me on Facebook, and he said, "Um, I don't tell a lot of people this because they think I'm crazy, but I see you like to shoot a lot and like to make your own stuff. Try this. like, all right, that sounds pretty weird. So I went and got some, and I I had to make two or three to figure out how many strands and all of that to use, and uh, shot it a couple times. Man, this shoot's really quiet. It takes a lot of vibration out of my bow. And uh, I actually started shooting a little better off my my laminate longbow. That's pretty good. And then it's tough as nails. Like, you don't have to wax it. You can dunk it underwater, it don't wear out at all. So I've had one on my other bow for about four years and
1: it still looks just like I made it. That's very interesting. You said you were one hundred percent confident that you're gonna kill a deer with the bow. Um so that tells me that your practice up to this point has given you a lot of confidence, right?
3: Obviously. yeah i um so you know what I was saying about shooting my bow every day, yeah, I just put my other bow up, and I've just been shooting this one every day, and it shoots great,
1: like it shoots just as good as my other one does, so that was when my... I was tuning it, no you no, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step on you there, go ahead,
3: uh when I was tuning it you know i'm I'm particular about my gear um and i I like to shoot bare shaft through paper, so I took it, and i my switch cane shafts. I took my glue-on field tip, and I cut it in half to make it 50 grains to make it roughly match my stone point, and I shot it through paper until I got a bare shaft bullet hole with a piece of switch painting. And it shoots just as good
1: air flight as somebody's $1,200
3: Matthews, I believe.
1: So d- my my question was this. I was assuming that you had, gotten that level of confidence through your setup and practice and tuning and all that so would you say would you say that this bow shoots better than your bows that you've purchased or I mean you said it shoots just as good but like in, in... um I wouldn't say better but I can shoot just as good a group with it at
3: a in a realistic range 20 to 25 yards. Um, now, I can take my other bows and stretch them out a little more, a little farther and shoot tighter groups, 30 to 35. Now, I'm not going to shoot that figure that far, but uh, 30, 35 yards with my other bows, and this one at 25 yards. I really can't tell the difference. Now, out past that, it gets a little shaky, and I think it's really just because it's a short recurve. It's only 56 inches, and it's got recurve tips where my other bows are 64 inches, and they're a lot more forgiving. So, and and – in a realistic range, it shoots. I mean, just about as good.
2: Garrett, did you? Uh, I I saw you post a video of making making some broadheads out of some material that you purchased online from somewhere. Uh, it, did you have any luck with that? I saw you shaping some of them up to turn them into broadheads, and
3: you know, yeah, I got a couple of them. Um, they're it? small. And, so hold on, I'm gonna go grab my bow out of my truck and just look at it while I talk to you. I'll be able to remember some stuff. Um, so whenever I bought okay. this kit, it Here. came with I don't know, five or six different kinds of stone. And I don't know, they were kind of flat disc shaped, uh, probably two inches thick and about three inches or three or four inches across. And um all different materials. Um what were they called? I know Obsidian was one. Obsidian Church, uh, Georgetown Flint was another one. There's one they call it starts with a D, but I've heard someone else call it um, Texas Blue Flint, which is similar to Georgetown Flint. All right, let's see. I'm, I'm gonna pull pull each arrow out of my quiver. I got eight arrows in the quiver. Each one of them's made out of something different. so, give me just second. All right, so the first one in the lineup is the first one that I got made that looks really pretty and I thought would shoot really well. And it is. It's that stuff. It starts with a D. It's Texas Blue Flint.
1: I'm looking that up right now because I want to know what it is. Okay. You keep going. I'm just going to look it up while you're doing that.
3: The next one is Burgundy Obsidian. Now, Obsidian is a type of volcanic glass. It's the sharpest material known to man. I've heard they use it in some surgeries. It can be made, I don't remember how many times, sharper than surgical steel. But this is burgundy obsidian, and it's like an orange rust color. It's got black speckles, and it's really pretty. Third. is another one of those blue flints. Fourth georgetown flint that was kind of ugly that's what now i keep I've made seeing some more and looking back at this one
1: uh gary what is that when i when i google texas blue flint everything i'm finding is georgetown flint
3: george okay georgetown they call texas flint okay now this stuff
1: the one with the d me, i'm not let me say
3: it's d-u-c is it the cody duc- something with a d Is a proper name for it I, I don't i can't pronounce it
1: it's a type of flint
3: yeah, look up, um just Google Flint Knapping Stones. It'll probably give you a list of them. All right, now the fourth one is the one that everybody likes. It is a Budweiser beer bottle, 40-ounce bottle that I found in the woods.
1: <laughs> I mean, if you've ever been in a bar fight, you know <laughs> that a uh, beer bottle oh, yeah. can absolutely cut. Have you ever
3: you ever been cut with glass and it just never stops bleeding? Yeah. That's because that's how sharp it gets. That's the same thing with obsidian. It cuts on such a small level, it doesn't want to clot. It doesn't have any anything to, for that blood to grip to. More of that splints. And then the last one's a chert. It's a white color.
1: All right. So this is what I the basic Google thing that I got from the University of Iowa's archaeology. Uh, best flint napping stones or rocks are sharp flint, chalcedony, that's C H A L C E D O N Y, quartzite, yeah. jasper, and obsidian. I've never see heard anybody use jasper. Oh, dolomite. Is it dolomite?
3: Could be it, that could be it, but I was thinking it was something with a DOC something. But maybe you're right. It just says it that, that. Uh,
1: it just says there's a certain type of of limestone and dolomite in the mid found throughout the Midwest. I mean, I I think those actually define certain types of flint, but maybe that's the D. I'm just looking for anything with a D, and I'm not.
3: Yeah, know. that that could very well be it. Let me look. I'll I'll Google it on my end. I don't know why we're all so um,
1: interested in this. But. <laughs> <laughs> da, Man, that's spall? Dacite, dacite spall, D A C I T E. Pro, I spell that. D A C I T E. D A C I T E spalls. S P A L L S. Yeah. Hmm.
3: That one don't look like it either. Well, hold on. I know where to find it. No, exactly. Maybe it's a Coors
2: Light bottle instead of a Budweiser
3: bottle. <laughs> Could be. I made one the other day out of a Bud Light Platinum bottle. That was pretty deep. Oh, you got i got to... a handful of just sitting in a cup holder in my truck.
1: <laughs> now, Levi, you got to come up with a beer that starts with a D because he's convinced yeah. that it starts with a D.
3: <laughs> Somebody dropped a pickle jar in the fire station the other day, and I picked it up and slapped one out of that and I'll shoot one with it if, if I get the chance.
1: Did you got to come up with something really cool for that? Uh, the kosher buck or something, you know, or doe, whatever you shoot it with.
3: People keep asking me, man. They're like, oh, you plan on killing the deer with that thing this year? They see it like, really? I plan on killing 25 deer if I get the chance. <laughs> <laughs> it's a novelty to everybody else,
1: but, damn, this is my home, though. It's pretty, I mean, you know, there's got to have to be a moment uh, and maybe you've even gotten there already, just with the amount of confidence that you that you're feeling with this setup. But I think when you do walk up there and and put hands on the first deer that you killed with the bow that you've been trying to build for yourself, like you said, since you were a teenager, it's going to be a real surreal kind of moment oh, of reflection yeah.
3: well, there. Well, right. The thing about it is, so last year I shot three deer two pass-throughs, and I uh, shot one high back, quartering away, like a really pretty shot, stuck in the offside leg with a arrow that was moving 150 feet a second. And people talk about, oh, I didn't get enough penetration, didn't get this or that. These, I'm killing deer just as dead as anybody shooting them with several thousand dollar compound set up. So I know, if I can do that with that, if this one gets at 15 yards and I put one in his lungs, he's going to run 75 yards and fall over. So I just got it. As long as I do my job, which I'm not always the best at, but I'm confident. I'm confident in the bow. It's myself that I'm worried about. Am I going to make a good shot? The bow going to do its job, yeah. and the arrows and the and the beer bottle broadhead—they're going to do what they're supposed to
1: do. Well, what, uh, Levi? Do you have? I'm going to start wrapping up. And just basically what I'm going to end this on is I'm going to end it with the to be continued because we're going to follow up with you after you've hunted with it. But, Levi, do you have any more questions about the bow build before we start to wrap up?
2: No, not really. Uh, that pretty much covered it. And I'll amen to what Garrett said that, you know, in the hunting community, you always – see people lose a deer. Well, I'm shooting this broadhead and I hit it good and I just can't find it. I, I do not believe in any of that. If you shoot a deer 100%. in the right spot with with a field point, the deer will die. Now, ethically, you don't want to shoot a deer with a field point, but you're, the deer will die if you shoot it in the correct spot every time. It's yeah, it's not going to live through having uh, air run through two lungs, even their liver or a heart. If you know, shoot them in the liver, you got obviously let them lay a little bit longer, but it's one hundred percent fatal. Yep.
3: So. Right. I've I've lost God, I've lost a lot of deer hunting, man. It just it is what it is. It happens. I never one time have I shot a deer and it's been my bow or my arrow It was something I did. I shot a buck last year that I knew I killed him. I hit him dead center of the armpit, and I guess it was just a little too low. The arrow went all the way through him, picked it up and had pink bubbles all over it. We put a dog on him and everything and never found him, but I know what I did. I was just, he was six yards, I was 20 foot high, and I shot him too low. I might have clipped along and got some yeah. bubbles on the arrows, but that was it. Yeah. But I could have swore. I knew for a fact he was dead, but he wasn't.
1: <sighs> Nothing replaces a well-placed shot. And we said this last week and I think Levi said, you know, you can go buy a fifteen dollar pack of Broadheads Allen brand from Walmart and if you shoot a deer in the right place, it's gonna kill him. And uh it's yeah, I mean there's there's no replacement for it. And I uh, you know, like when it comes to this, I mean we you know, we we wanted to talk to you about how you built your bow and obviously this podcast and this like this conversation Is we're really only halfway through the conversation on one podcast because the results i mean you can tell us how well it shoots and you can tell us how well you're shooting it in practice but obviously Mm -hmm. the the follow-up to this is going to be how you know how how is it when you hunt with it you know how is it when you finally uh shoot a deer and and uh and and we want to do that you know like obviously want to follow up with that but uh I think it's cool. Uh, that's uh, just a really cool story. Preseason, looking forward to, you know, um, I'm excited for you. I think it's just really cool yeah, I, the first time you my get My other out there
3: bow, with. I don't even have, but I don't have, but like three arrows for my, my bow that, that I hunt with all the time. Cause I usually order, I shoot so much all through the summer. I shoot it anything I can find. I'll kick a tennis ball around the yard and shoot it at Wherever it lands, I'll shoot it. And I, I lose a bunch of arrows like that. And, uh, every year I got to buy a new dozen. Well, this year I have like three left and I didn't even, I ordered some a couple weeks ago. They came in and I mailed them off to a guy to have them paint it and press it. They won't be here probably till November. And I'm in no rush for them whatsoever because I got a bow to shoot. So
1: this cool. is it. It's awesome. All right. I'm going to start wrapping up Garrett. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, come on here. And I know you're stupid busy up there at your job right now and, and you're just putting oh, everything yeah. on hold to talk to us, and we appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> without a doubt.
3: <laughs> well, let's. But, uh, I got this velvet season coming up in Mississippi, so hopefully oh, yeah. we'll, we'll get one here for long. So, what is the dates on that? Sixteenth, seventeenth, and eighteenth. I think it's next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I, I don't know what the. I don't know what day of the week it is. I'm working shift work, and I'm all confused. But it's the sixteenth, seventeenth, and eighteenth.
1: I knew I, I knew they were. And it doing looks
3: it. like I've been watching the weather. It looks like there, there's there's at least a little bit of a cool front coming through, so
1: yeah, might be good. Yep. All right, Levi. I'm about to wrap up. Do you got anything else before I do?
2: If he could take a picture of all of his uh, all of his arrows with his different broadheads on there, and take a picture of it, so we can like post it when we make a post about the episode or whatever. I think that'd be pretty cool.
1: Definitely, definitely, Garrett. Yep, I'll do that right now. Yeah, so we're going to we're going to keep up with this. Ba- basically, uh, so this is going to be kind of the final ending statement to this. We're going to we're going to follow the process through the you know, you mentioned you got your velvet hunt coming up and then of course the season opens in October. We want to follow the process because uh I think it's really cool and I think a whole lot of people that follow along with Louisiana Bowhunter are going to think it's really cool. Build your own bow and yep. go hunt with it. So let's see how that that works out we apologize to everybody a little bit for our um we got a little bit of a delay and that's made some of our conversation a little bit more difficult but i but you know i think it's been a great one and i think everybody's still going to enjoy it and so um you know just looking forward we're uh we got some really interesting stuff coming up and um to people we're going to talk to and we'll continue to drop our podcast um every friday and you can uh go check out some of the new stuff that we're doing merchandise-wise at louisianabowhunter.com, or we are really starting to get orders out to stores all around the state. And so you'll see us posting some stuff on social media about where we've got racks of gear that you can pick up um, at different locations when we get those racks filled at, at stores. So that's really ramping up. want people to... uh Make sure you get a get a look at that, and like I said to start this episode, I really want the, the community uh, feedback and participation, so use our Instagram and Facebook and all of that to communicate with us. Shoot us an email or, or a message on either of the social platforms. There's something you want to hear us talk about, a question you have, or just something stupid that you want to see if we'll repeat it on the podcast. Just do it. You know, we're going to try to do that a lot of that to uh, interact with people and get people more involved in the podcast. And we greatly appreciate you listening and following along. Check everything out at LouisianaBowHunter.com, and we'll talk to you next week.